The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of Reality Realty are not necessarily the views or opinions of Northumberland 89.7 FM. The information given is designed to be informative and helpful. You should always consult a professional when buying or selling your home. This is Reality Realty. I'm Dale Bryant, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. The World Cup Final, France versus Croatia, is playing this Sunday. Wimbledon Women Finals are on Saturday, and Men's Finals on Sunday. So what's going to fill the gap until then? Well, get ready, get set for your favorite local real estate broadcast. Reality Realty will fill the gap. Northumberland 89.7 FM's local real estate forum. Every Thursday morning at this time, we take on, we talk about, and we interview guests on all things real estate with a direct focus on Northumberland County and the communities within it. We hear more and more about communities becoming aware of accessibility to and within public venues, but what about accessibility within our own homes? The motivation could be due to a disability of someone sharing the same roof as you. It may be due to uh, staying in your home during the latter years of your life and aging in place. Or you might be thinking of friends and family who require accessibility features when they come to visit you. Well, today's guest will be a personal friend of mine. It will be Carol Ann Bell Smith, and we'll be talking about how to make home a home accessible. We'll be talking about funding for accessibility renovations, selling an accessible home, buying a home that will work for somebody with a disability, and much, much more. So let's begin the today's show with Snapshot for July 12, 2018. And Snapshot is a look at the residential real estate market right here in Northumberland County. There have been 133 single-family residential sales over the past month, and that's a decrease of 16 sales since our last report. At the same time, our inventory remains fairly steady at 442 residential listings for sale. The average selling price of successful sales over the past year has increased slightly to approximately $397,000. And in comparison, the average selling price over the past month is approximately $422,000. So we can see uh, that from the sale prices, uh, the difference being over the whole year and over the past month is about $25,000. So we're in a strong uh, market at this time. During the past year, people have received on average approximately 98% of their asking price in a market time of 44 days. Northumberland County is still in a seller's market with an absorption rate at approximately 30% based on the past month's sales trend. This means we have a residential home inventory that can satisfy approximately 3.3 months of sales that the rate homes have been selling. I research these Northumberland County statistics and I calculate the absorption rate using information from CoreLogic's matrix system. And matrix is the local realtor component of the MLS system. So if you're thinking of buying or selling a home, you'll want this information to be area specific, specific to the property type you're dealing with and the price band it's in. So talk to your local realtor to understand the Northumberland market information that's most relevant to you. Bank of Canada raised their overnight benchmark rate by 25.25%. Um, uh, most of the lenders will start increasing their prime rate uh, sometime today, and, and it should land at 3.7% for most lenders. Today's mortgage rates, five-year fixed is as low as 3.34%, and a five-year variable as low as point or as low as 2.66%. And as always, some conditions do apply. Today's mortgage rates come to us from mortgage broker Carol Ann Bryant with Dominion Lending Centers Alliance. And that is your current snapshot of the residential real estate market right here in Northumberland County. And I'd like to just remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed on Reality Realty or any of the articles presented do not represent the views and opinions of the station, 
of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors, of any real estate brokerage or any other realtor. They're just simply our views and opinions at this time. So here's the scenario. You or someone in your family has become disabled or developing a disability, and you either need to move or make changes in the home you have. Or maybe you're in, a retire in the re your retirement years and require your home to work better for you. Or maybe you have a friend with a disability and you want to consider accessibility in your next home renovation. Well, this is the show for you. In the studio with me this morning is a personal friend of mine and someone who is no stranger to making a home accessible, no stranger to universal design, and she's a disability advocate as well. It's Carol Ann Bell-Smith, and welcome, Carol Ann, to Reality Realty. Thank you for having me, Dale. Yeah, our pleasure for sure. And so, Carol Ann, we're, we're doing a show on changing making changes to a home to uh, become more accessible for people with disabilities or people that want to age in place um, or for just people who want to get their home ready for friends to come and visit. And so how is it that you know about this topic? What's your experience with this topic? Well, it's interesting because um, I've become an expert because of my own disability. And I never could have imagined myself when I first start out, started out, I was a nurse for many years, working in trauma even, that I would end up in a wheelchair. It never occurred to me in a million years. In fact, one, at one point I was a bodybuilder. And so I would, it would have been the last thing I would have thought would have happened to me, but it does. And we are all only a slip, a trip, an accident, an illness, a disease, a bite by a tick away from needing these types of accessibility items and renovations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know, like I mentioned at the top of the show, a big push is on with um, public buildings. I, I think in Ontario it was I think there was an act in 2005, and it was an act that was going to start being implemented, I believe, by 2010. And then, and then they were they were hopeful that Ontario would be um, disability friendly or accessibility friendly by 2025. I think that was generally does that sound like the dates are pretty close um, it is it started actually in 2001 um, okay. with it's called the Ontarians with Disabilities Act and I was actually part of the authorship I was in private consultation with then Minister Cameron Jackson developing this particular uh, bill to you know push us to be more accessible and you know it's been an odyssey and mm -hmm. um, you know the goal certainly is to be accessible by 2025 and there have been many speed bumps along the way and w we have made some progress uh, we have a long way to go but uh, an important piece of legislation and the other piece of legislation that is involved here is the Ontario Human Rights Code, which actually has supremacy over all of their statutes, laws, and acts in the province of Ontario and is therefore quasi-constitutional. So those two laws inform um, ac accessibility in all of its forms. And, and, and the, now that mostly refers to public venues, uh, public places, although I think, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, the only mention within that whole act for residential uh, buildings is to have a, a visible component of a smoke alarm. Um, is, that, is that true for, resi for small residential? Sad but true. Yeah. That's so far right now, and there, there are so many deficiencies that it makes, it makes it quite difficult for people who have either acquired a disability or live into one. Mm -hmm. And and like you say, we don't know what, what tomorrow brings for us, for for ourselves or or our spouses or or family or friends. And so, if you wait until things happen, if you don't build things in, and you wait until they happen, I mean, you've lost some some control at that point. You have to do what you have to do at the moment. And and so it, it's really nice if uh, it'd be really nice if our builders would start to incorporate more of what we're going to be talking about today. I, I know some do, a few do, but uh, certainly, certainly, uh, as we both know, um, 
a lot of homes are not built with uh, accessibility in mind at all. It's really too bad because uh, retrofitting is horrifically expensive. But building a home that's already accessible is actually easy and really doesn't cost a great deal more, if anything. And we, I think it's important that we share our experience that um, my husband and I built a, a, a wheelchair accessible home and the accessibility items didn't cost us any additional money. Oh. And so, but if we are now, we're now moving to a different home and if we have to go in and say widen doorways, things like that, it, that's quite expensive and mm -hmm. it, it costs nothing to do it from the beginning. And I guess the disability movement, folks with disabilities are saying, why not start there? And that way you don't have to invest later on and your your home is already waiting for you should you need it mm -hmm. to be accessible yeah and 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 so uh, that leads me to think of something we're going to be mentioning off and on and and off and on um just to to get this straight we talked a little bit before the show uh about the possibility of not fitting all the information in in just one show and, and you've been kind enough to say that if we have enough that we don't get to um you'll join me again next week Sure. Oh, that's sure. beautiful. I just need you to commit on air to that. <laughs> so, so that's good. So, one of the things we're going to be talking about is uh, you're you're saying that just as you're thinking, oh, I didn't look at my calendar, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. So, I if it's not next week, it'll be sometime in the future. Um, but one of the things we're going to be referring to over the course of today's show or or a couple day shows is universal design and as it applies to architecture to building and can you can you tell us a little bit about that Carolyn because we w we will be mentioning it as we look at different features and rooms throughout a house this is a really important <coughs> concept universal design and it's something that has come over the last maybe 10 years maybe a little bit more in the past, when folks like me, um, who require uh, mobility aid, a wheelchair, walker, made mobility um, accommodations and construction, um, they were often directed by folks who tended toward a more institutional type of renovation. So thinking if you go into a, a public washroom, the winged taps, that kind of thing, the, the sort of sloping sink. And that was the thought, and it was a wonderful thing because it certainly did help people with disabilities. But the downside was that it you spent a lot of money on an accessibility renovation, and in the end, um, you, you got the accessibility. But when you sold your home, the money that you put into it, and, and it can be substantially expensive, mm -hmm. is lost. And not only that, not only did you lose that money that you put into it to add serious insult to serious injury, you also devalue your home. And this is something I've bought and sold several houses that I found out uh, the hard way. And I, I find it quite heartbreaking to, to meet new f folks with new disabilities who've had, for example, an insurance settlement and they put $150,000 into a house and something happens and they have to sell or, or they pass away, the family has to sell the house. And suddenly, not only do they not get back the $150,000, but they find they have to sell the house at fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 less than market value because those renovations have impacted the saleability of the house, which is absolutely mm -hmm. heartbreaking for a bunch of people who already are financially challenged with, you know, mobility equipment and sure. medical expenses, medical travel, that kind of thing. And so the principle of universal design was born. And that is that it's really no more expensive to take a look at accessibility items, accessibility renovations from a design perspective than to take a look from an institutional perspective. And so you walk into an individual's house and you would never know that it is a purpose-built accessible home. For example, ours is that way and no, no one would know. Oh. You, even from the very gradual sloping up uh, landscape it's not a ramp, it's a, sort of a concrete entrance. Um, you would never know it's a, it's a wheelchair ramp. It doesn't look anything like it, and there are gardens, and it's, it's quite beautiful. And it doesn't cost any more to do it that way than it does to build a, you know, very institutional-looking ramp. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it looks pretty, and it also increases to the saleability of the home, and then sometimes it enhances the saleability because suddenly you have a beautiful, beautiful home that is completely accessible but doesn't look that way. 
Yeah, and and as as we're going to find out, you end up with more open spaces, and and I don't know if this is because uh, this universal design movement has been happening so long and has influenced things, or if it just happens to be coincidental. But a lot of our, as we'll find out throughout the show, a lot of our preferred design tastes today actually fits right in with universal design and uh, so it, it'll be neat to see that and and then the other thing too um, just from looking this up Carol Ann I, I noticed that you know universal design you might hear it as being barrier-free design or accessible design or inclusive design all all these different titles are, are basically the same thing uh, about having everybody have creating a space that everybody can use and and has um, aesthetic value as well absolutely and one more feature of a universal universally designed home is its visitability and this is a very big issue for people with disabilities um, and I can't stress <coughs> enough how important it is one of the things you find out very quickly um, if your disability has been acquired is that suddenly you can't visit anybody's house anymore. You can't mm -hmm. go for dinner with friends at their home, and everybody has to come to your house, which is fine, and I'm happy to entertain, but... Well, it's, it's fine for you, but it's, it's not, not always fine for everybody, right? No, it isn't, no. and you lose friends that way because yeah. you actually can't be involved anymore, and you sort of very slowly, people pull away, and they make new acquaintances because it's a lot easier, yeah. and suddenly you don't have to call every restaurant you go to or every show or every theater event and say, hey, is it accessible? It's kind of a pain, I'll be honest with you, and in the beginning, everybody's happy to do it, but there is that we're busy people. Yeah, And people just, you know, they want to do things without thinking. And, and that kind of ends if you acquire a disability. You have mm -hmm. to think about everywhere you go. So having a home that's visitable means that you can, you can w go and visit your friends. They can come and visit you. Mm -hmm. There's a real social element here, too, that I think is really important for people with disabilities. We just want to feel like we belong. We want to do what everybody yeah. else does anonymously. We don't want to have to make a big deal or a spectacle out of, you know, trying to, to get into a place. For, for sure. And, and, and then just a couple more things I, I was able to dig up uh, as far as uh, characteristics of this universal design. Uh, simple and intuitive. Right. You don't want something so complicated. Uh, like maybe, uh, uh, you know, as we get into things like a lift or an elevator, so complicated that, you know, you need a... Uh, a partial college uh, education to use um, a tolerance for error so it's something that you can use but you don't have to just use it you know bang on perfect you know it, it's easy to use it's uh, and and a little physical effort too mm -hmm. and we'll get into that with ramps like you know there's there's um, rules and guidelines for ramps that I it's not going to be something that's going to take an Olympian to get up a up it right no or put pose any danger uh, as well yes and the other thing people i know are uh, enjoy technology and, and new devices and things but however if you use equipment that is powered by electricity or technology um it's not always a good thing in fact i'm the older i get the more i realize that these things break down mm -hmm. and they break down with great regularity and they're extraordinarily expensive to fix. I had an elevator one time. I purchased a home that already had an elevator and I remember thinking, oh, how exciting. I have an elevator. Yeah. I can go to three levels. My life is opened until I realized that it's $200 an hour to fix said elevator and that the average call takes between 8 and 12 hours. Oh, my goodness. And there's several of those a year and it doesn't take us very long to figure that that's not sustainable and so when people say oh you should you know get a lift or mm -hmm. it, it, it's not what I would prefer to do at all I would prefer to be on a level that requires no nothing yeah. that could cost me money <laughs> in the future other than planting flowers and that sort of thing yeah and and that's where the simple intuitive aspect of this universal Absolutely. design would come in play well, Carolyn, it's, it's time for us to have our first break. So, folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty Northumberland, 89.7 FM's local real estate talk. Join us after this break, and we'll be getting right into the different features in a home. Uh, we'll, we'll look at first feature by feature, and then we'll go and look at a few rooms in specific, and we'll find out how it is best to make your home accessible. 
Welcome back. This is Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest this morning is Carol Ann Bell-Smith. And Carol Ann and I, we're looking at the best ways to make your home accessible for living and for maintaining your investment by incorporating universal design concepts. So Carol Ann, before, before the break, we were just basically getting into... Um, your story and and how you've had a lot of experience with uh, a number of homes and universal uh, design and making a home accessible and we also just talked about what universal design is so I'm thinking it, it, it'd be good to get into just feature by feature but uh, one of the things I wanted to point out is um, I found I found online one in six Canadians, so 14.3 percent of Canadians live with a disability, and one third of all Canadians 65 uh, years or over have mobility problems. So today we have a big part of our population who really uh, require uh, you know attention to this sort of thing. And as we age that number goes higher and higher. For example, uh, for folks over 75 years of age, it goes up to 42.9% have disabilities. Folks over 65 um, are 26.3. This is something that is going to happen to you at some point in your mm -hmm. life, and wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to move? And actually, not just wouldn't it be great, there's a huge crisis out there right now in terms of um, home buying, home renting, finding places, forget whether they're accessible or not. But then when you add the constraints of accessibility on top of that, if I had to find a wheelchair accessible apartment tomorrow, wouldn't happen. I'd be homeless if I, if I had to. There mm -hmm. isn't one. I can guarantee you that. Same with a wheelchair accessible home. If I had to buy one tomorrow, I'm, I might be able to find one in London or Sudbury. Uh, but in terms of locally in the GTA, I'm aware of one. Wow. For sale. And, and uh, I mean, I sell real estate. Other than on my own, so that's two. Yeah, there's two. I, I, I sell real estate, so, I mean, that's how I earn my living is when people buy and sell real estate. But from my experience, when I see people in their later years and, and they have to move from their home because the home just doesn't work for them, I, I would just as soon see more people do the aging in place and have a home that will work for them in, in in their in their later years because what a what is you know at that time in your life when when disabilities are starting to come up it's also like the worst thing to add to that is a move the stress of a move getting used to a different environment that you know um a floor plan that you've never been used to and and you've never woken up in and so I, I, I think this is the greatest thing to just prepare ho our homes now. And uh, so why don't we get into <coughs> one feature at a time here, Carol Ann. And, and the first, first thing I want to handle is the exterior of your home. And so when, when you think of um, how, to, how to make a uh, home friendlier for accessibility on the exterior, what are you typically thinking of? Well, flat grade, you know, the less hills, the better. Uh, nothing for me to roll down on and wind up on the other side of a fence or in a pool or yeah. in the middle of the street. That would be a, a, a really good thing. You have to take a look at the landscape, make sure it's um, gentle slope. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> and so gentle slope getting up into the home. Uh, I'm thinking of just the enjoyment of your home, too, like spaces you want to have spaces that you can actually enjoy with with your family. So I'm thinking decks, um, you know, raised, raised gardens are fantastic. Raised because gardens. Then you can, and I'm I'm an avid gardener. I, I love to garden, and so I end up using containers because they can be at the height that I need them to be, and then I can sort of putter mm -hmm. away on my own. So that's that's very helpful. So ra and raised gardens, and and I'm sure there's even benefits. Um, outside of uh, someone with a disability with raised gardens too, uh, and I know I know I've <laughs> I know I've read about it before, and I, I can't remember what what they all are, but um, yeah, and and so let's think back. Let's think to the the deck, w uh, the a social place for a family. Um, you, you want to be able to access it, so you would typically access something like that with 
I'm thinking a raised deck with with a ramp, correct? Or a door, um, if you can uh, ent- exit onto the ramp from from the house. From the house, and so patio doors not so good mm-hmm. uh, because they have little ridges, and so when you go over them, sometimes you smash them or you bend mm-hmm. them over, or the wheelchair can't get over them. So a, a, a threshold that's level is is very helpful. Think French doors, mm-hmm. so that the door can go swing in and swing out. Open. Pocket doors, I mean, are always the best for the interior, but exterior, just away from patio doors and as close to the level of the deck as you can be and and those sliding those sliding doors if if there's a house with sliding doors they that unit can be taken out and replaced with something with a a wider a regular swinging door and and maybe a little um skylight uh sort of piece beside it right so absolutely or you know if you have a patio door that has <coughs> metal housing most mm-hmm. of them don't these days but if they have metal housing you can actually buy this v- this sort of rubber ramp that meets both sides and sort of creates a little kind of bridge uh, oh, for the patio over, door. over the lip in there right. and and something that needs to be uh considered too when y- when you talk about possibly going over it and and breaking a piece is that anybody listening right now thinking about a wheelchair uh, they may have a they likely have a um, an image in their mind and and you might be thinking of the wheelchairs that are near the front lobby of the hospital where you where you take your hands and you move them but it might be a power chair and i understand power chairs depending on the on the features that are incorporated in these chairs, they can be anywhere from 150 to 400 pounds. Does that sound? I think they're probably closer to the 400 pounds. Usually about 300 by the time you put the batteries (coughs) in them. So... That's probably why nobody invites me to backyard barbecues because I might wreck their patio doors <laughs> if I have to go through. Yeah. If they were wide enough, and actually... Most aren't. Most aren't. I have not encountered... To be honest, I've never encountered one that is wide enough. Okay. So if we're talking... Let's talk about getting up to that deck from the lawn okay. or okay. getting up if, if you don't have a home that's, um, you know, very close to grade and, and using a ramp. Right. And And so there's... There's things to be considered when you're putting in a ramp. And what what would some of those things be? Well, the proper grade is very important. For every foot you go up, you have to go out 12 feet to be code. Now, some folks I know might shorten that very slightly, but really that's that's, uh, important so that you don't tip over backward. And also for folks who are in manual wheelchairs, uh, very difficult to go any steeper and climb it up. Well, in fact, it's dangerous. It's, it's mm-hmm. outright dangerous. So you have to make sure your your grade is a gentle slope, according to you know code. And I think for public uh, places, I think they their their goals are even are even less of a grade. I think I think they're a, a one to fifteen, a one right. to uh, to a one to twenty ratio. Uh, for for public venues, so right, right. yeah, and and then so we you you want a proper grade, and then the surface is important as well. I mean, getting a surface that is easy to easy to wheel on because maybe not everybody has a power chair, but also something that's slip resistant as well. Absolutely. And, and so, what are some of the better materials for that, Caroline? Whatever materials you're using, you can actually purchase strips that have um, grips on them, which are quite helpful. Home Depot carries them. Or uh, you can put in, if you're painting your ramp, you can actually put sand in the paint. And I've done that in the past, and so it creates a texture mm-hmm. for the wheels to to um, to grip, grip. But if you have a proper grade, um, just a wood ramp should be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, if you use slats of wood, that's very helpful too because there are spaces and you have to right. consider we're in Canada and so these ramps are going to be covered in snow and invariably ice if the snow mm-hmm. melts and freezes so there needs to be a way for the water to dissipate and yeah. not build up and freeze once the ice comes it's very difficult to chip it away if you have you think about your sidewalk so having spaces in between the slats is quite helpful and and when we think back to this universal design i mean even someone that doesn't have a disability can appreciate um, a, a surface with a grip, absolutely a, a non-slip surface. There's you can you can make a permanent ramp, or you can make a portable or temporary ramp. What are what are some of the pros and cons? Who who would be considering maybe going to a, a temporary portable ramp 
as opposed to a permanent ramp. So folks, um, for security reasons, don't often like to put the wheelchair ramp at the front of their house. It screams, hey, I have a disability. I might be in a wheelchair and, you know, I might be easier to rob than mm-hmm. somebody who isn't. I hope I'm not giving anybody any ideas out there. But that's part of it. If you're renting, yeah. for example, you can't really, you don't want to make permanent changes to the place you're staying in. A temporary ramp, you can often buy them. They're metal. You can actually buy them locally. I saw one at Pharma Plus in Port Hope. They sell them. So that makes sense in that particular case. Another way to put a ramp in is in a garage that would happen to have an entrance to the house. And building Mm -hmm. the ramp in the garage prevents a lot of the snow uh, and ice concerns and also increases the longevity of the ramp. And you can use a remote control in the garage door Mm -hmm. to let yourself in into a a nice um, controlled environment to enter your house from. And when you look at the front of the house, you would see nothing. Yeah, and and so in that way, you're not detracting from the value if you want to sell it in the future. Yes, somebody might not keep the ramp in the garage, but that's a whole lot easier to uh, disassemble than something that maybe you've made permanent on the outside of your home. It's true. My favorite type of um, entrance to a home is a sort of graduated path, be it concrete or interlock or some sort of other Mm -hmm. uh, material, because it's a garden feature. You would never recognize it as being an accessibility item. It's beautiful. It's functional. And that is one of the hallmark principles of of universal design is that you you really wouldn't distinguish it. And it makes it accessible for everyone. The vast majority of head injury accidents, fall accidents are related to stairs. Stairs are not all that safe, nor are ladders. Things with steps are difficult and and, uh, carry more risk. Uh, A gentle slope is far easier. If you go to a shopping mall, for example, the Toronto Eaton Centre, we'll have a ramp with stairs beside it. I guarantee you most of the people want to use the ramp. Yeah. They don't want to go up the stairs. And I, I, I understand I it. tend to use the ramp myself. Yeah, yeah for so sure. There's the perfect example of universal design. It works for everyone. It doesn't set anyone apart. It doesn't make anyone feel different or third spaced. All of the population, folks with strollers, folks with walkers, folks with canes, folks who use mm-hmm. wheelchairs. Everyone uses kids, the same young kids, young kids that are in, in too big a hurry. Right. And uh, universal design, you know, is ideal for them. Absolutely. It creates a, a safety buffer that they, they personally don't know they need. <laughs> Not yet. No, they're invincible. Uh, well, does that pretty much cover some of the thoughts? I guess, I guess o- outside considerations, just things like how do you get the mail? Right. Uh, where, how do you get in and out of your vehicle? And where is, where is your vehicle? That's things a big like one. That. Yeah. That's a big one. Driveways. Because how to get it, if you have a side uh, ramp or lift on your van, you need eight feet of clearance on the side because you, the ramp may be only three feet long, but your wheelchair has to travel to the very end. The back wheels have to travel to the end of the ramp and then turn the corner. And this is kind of my one of my pet peeves, and I hope somebody out there is hearing this one. If you are parking your vehicle, for example, at Walmart, and the extra parking space is there, it's a handicapped parking space, you've got a disabled permit. If you park up close and encroach on that particular space next to a vehicle, what you're doing is you're trapping the person who uses a side lift, Mm. either outside or inside the vehicle. And quick story, I was at the movies and someone did this to me and encroached into that the space meant for uh, the ramp, either the crosshairs or it was the blue space. And it happened to be 40 below. And I went to a late, I went to a late show and I came out and everything was closed and somebody blocked me and I couldn't get out. And I ended up getting frostbite and losing the tip of one toe because someone did this. So this is, th- and it happens all of the time, Dale. Every, I, I don't think there's a day that goes by that this doesn't happen. And some folks actually have permits, but don't think, you know, oh, I have a permit, so I can park right up close to this vehicle. Yeah. But they don't think that a lift needs space beside it. And so yeah. this is a really important issue. Yeah, and, and uh, I guess you, on some uh, disabled parking spots, you see such a wide spot and you think ah oh, maybe people say ah oh, they, they don't need all that i i'm going to i'm going to park a little closer to that so maybe nobody in the next 
space to me that it's not a disabled space so they don't open their door into my door. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, easily done. I understand it, but really important. So when yeah. we're talking driveways, you'll, you'll often need a double driveway if you have mm-hmm. a, a vehicle with a side lift or a side ramp. Yeah, a double driveway, which will not be... A, used as a double driveway no No. it won't be and the (coughs) other thing is too is the material that you use for the driveway Uh, large size gravel does not work for power chairs nor for um, manual chairs as well Mm -hmm. very difficult to negotiate you get bogged down and and stuck there so either pave or crush limestone works actually quite well all right well let's let's go into the house and, and the first thing I think about, we've been talking about the ground outside. You're just talking about the crushed stone. How about flooring inside the house? Right. What should we be looking at for accessible uh, accessibility, universal design flooring? This is really, really important because everyone will sell you flooring and say, oh, it should be fine. It should be fine. I know my mom is in a wheelchair and she has a floor that's a high-end laminate and they swore up and down it would be perfect. It would be great. It's two years later, three years later, the it's curling because it isn't impervious to the water. Mm-hmm. Um, wood floors, if it's a power wheelchair, if you bring any dust or dirt in, which you always do, mm-hmm. that's the one thing <laughs> when you are in a wheelchair your floors constantly have sand in them will grind the finish off of hardwood floor so your your options are uh, commercial commercial porcelain ceramics are not strong enough um, and you have to lay them in a certain way you have to lay them with some the orange detra mat and you have to put self-leveling cement over the top and you buy a commercial thick full thickness porcelain that works very very well i hear there's a new type of flooring that has uh, a vinyl mixed with uh, crushed mm-hmm. or powdered porcelain i hear that works very well i have not tried that myself but even before the flooring let's talk about the door to get in the door to get in yes and and width of doors width of doors you and i know about oh we know about with the doors caroline yeah so dale and i um <laughs> know each other well we know each other from the northumberland orchestra and choir which yes. dale very very kindly um is a partner and supports that organization just to no end he's fantastic for that but i unfortunately have to move from my wonderful wheelchair accessible home i got into an elevator accident and it's a long story but so we're looking for another home so the front door Mm -hmm. is has been a big thing from the beginning and we're both amazed not just the front door but all the doors even in new homes the doors are too narrow yeah and (coughs) so i took a look on home depot site just to see what are what are the widths you can buy for an exterior door and and just the ones they have in stock. So they basically have exterior doors that are anywhere from 32 to 37 inches wide. So if somebody decided to go for a 35 or 37 inch wide door, that'd be a big help, wouldn't it? It would actually. Anything over 33 inches is helpful. Yeah. No, to code from the, for the exterior doors about 33 inches. Yeah. But the interior. I think it was 33 and 3 eighths was yes, maybe was. the the, yeah. l- the most common door I saw. Funny enough, we're not seeing lots of that size doors. It just depends how old the house is, I guess. And the interior doors um, and closet doors, for example, can be 24 inches. Well, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get through those doors. Yeah, and and, and then looking at the Home Depot site as well for interior doors. I I saw them as narrow, Caroline, as 22 inches. So that's got to be for for a linen closet or or just a, a... a broom closet, just enough for a couple of little brooms. But yeah, 24 inches, 26. But then you could get them up to 20, uh, 28. And no, that's on the small side. Anywhere from 22 to 28, because 30 is your standard. Right. But they, w- they also had 32 and 36 inch doors for interior. So tell me why brand new home builders are still using 24-inch doors. So the folks that are, a lot of folks are buying these Mm -hmm. homes are, you know, late, early to mid-60s, who knows, may at some point need a mobility aid, and none of their doors are going to be wide enough, and they've put all this money into a beautiful Mm -hmm. home, and it really doesn't cost a great deal more to just start that way, to just start to think that way. Why not put in a 32-inch door? What would it cost to do that? Almost nothing. In my case, when our doors are actually, I think, close to about 35 inches by the time you clear the the door itself, 
it was no upcharge. It was the same. Yeah. And and when I go into a home, and I'm if if I'm not even thinking about accessibility, and I go into a home with larger doors, it just seems grand. It, there, does. it, it actually improves the feel of the home. It just seems spacious, open, and grand. And you don't have to turn sideways to get through the door. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. So there has been doors. So oddly enough, I, and and we'll just jump ahead to this because you saying that. How many times have we looked at a home and the shower, <laughs> the shower, where I, I can't even walk straight in with it, with my shoulders and get through the, the opening? And, and, and often these showers even don't even have a light in it. So you're showering in a, like a little cave. Plus you have to step over a, a kind oh, of a yeah. six-inch step. So you're in the dark, yeah. you're turning sideways, and you're taking a step on slippery tile all at the same time. Yes. If that's not a recipe for a disability, I don't know what is. Yeah, so, <laughs> so door opening size is very important. The, the, f the whether it has a lip or not, you, you want something just to be uh, a flat transition. And uh, and then flooring and, and your personal experiences with that commercial porcelain, and and I've seen it in your home and it's beautiful and it's it's something somebody would pick even if they weren't considering having universal design. Well, the flooring is the same all throughout the house, mm -hmm. which, ma which makes it appear larger. There aren't thresholds for people to trip on or get slivers or catch their socks. Um, everything looks uniform and beautiful. And off today, the commercial porcelain is not expensive. It's not as, it, in fact, it's very similar to laminate in terms of pricing. Right. Uh, although more, more money more will go in, in the preparation in the underneath preparation. the That's floor. True. Um, we're talking about doors. How about door handles? So lever door handles mm -hmm. are always, um, you know, much better certainly than a doorknob. I can't use a doorknob without dislocating my wrist. So uh, lever door, and I think lever doors kind of look nicer anyway, and they have mm -hmm. such beautiful lever doors now, door handles now, that, and they're no more expensive than a nice knob. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, we're actually over break time, so we're going to take another break. Folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty, Northumberland 89.7 FM's local real estate talk. Join us after this break, and we'll continue to talk with Carolyn Bell-Smith about universal design, which is also known as barrier-free design or accessible design or inclusive design. And we'll, we'll talk about how to do it best in your home and why you should do it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum, Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest today is Carol Ann Bell-Smith. And the topic is universal design, barrier-free design, and how to do it best, why you should do it, why you should make your home consider making your home accessible if, if you're not actually even being forced to make your home accessible. And we're, we're going to talk eventually about funding and a lot of good stuff about uh, accessibility in your own home. So, Carolyn, we were talking about flooring before the break, and uh, and and we were talking about doors and room sizes. What ab uh, I mean, doors, door sizes. What about room sizes and hall sizes? What considerations should be made? And this is this is not so much on a retrofit because it may be too late. Although although walls can be taken out of homes. Um, but what should, if somebody's having a home built, what should they be considering for sizes? Well, the first thing to consider is an open concept home, eliminating hallways. Hallways are a disaster because a wheelchair needs really, uh, I think the official is four foot, eight inches, but really needs a five foot turning radius, a circle of, of five feet in order to just swing that wheelchair around. And that is for a wheelchair that has a center drive. If you have a rear drive, it, it may take a little bit more than that. But that's kind of the gold standard. So open concept works very, very well. And the mm -hmm. elimination of hallways, we did that in our house. And I know I took some uh, comments from the, the designer saying, well, people really don't like doorways off from the main living space. And I said, I think they don't like it in principle, but when they see it, I think they'd love it. Mm -hmm. And would you have noticed that the no. there are no hallways in the home? No. Uh, well... I mean, what you do notice in your home is, is 
very much open concept and people love open concept today uh you know gone are the days when people want compartmentalized uh rooms and, and a home like that so you can and you can get say a, a 1500 square foot home that feels like an 1800 square foot home just because you have an open concept design so yeah so hallways is a no-no if you can avoid them and, and you can avoid them if you're starting from scratch you certainly can and and room sizes as well and just the setting up of a room um, i know some people like to crowd crowd a room with a ton of furnishings well if if you have someone with a disability obviously if they're going to join you in any particular room you need to you need to create space for them don't you and you could do that beautifully just by design making big open spaces which look excellent and prevent you from stubbing your toe on the coffee table as you go by who hasn't done that when they were walking oh yes oh <laughs> yes uh, and and here's a neat thing too um, and I, I have in my notes here is voice activated devices right do you have much experience with those? Well, there's a HAL system, which is um, a smart, turns your, your home into kind of a, uh, a whole accessible um, place for folks who have more severe disabilities. And it you can open doors, turn lights on and off, that kind of thing. You can almost do that with Google Home now um, mm -hmm. by creating, you know, a house that's a more um, automated. And that's, that's something that lots of folks with disabilities love. Yeah, and so Google, they, they have Google Home and Google Home Mini, and then I think they some of their components are under the Nest um, yes. brand name where you can have thermostats, lights, your music, your television, everything controlled by voice activation. Uh, Amazon has uh, Echo, and uh, Apple has uh, a fairly new one, a HomePod. I think I think it's lacking. The Apple one's really good for the music, but it's lacking a little bit on uh, it being integrated to the functionality of your home. But definitely something that uh, that people should think of. And and you know what? We're focusing quite a bit on on uh, accessibility and mobility. Right. Um, but disabilities can be can be vision. Absolutely. Uh, can be hearing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many disabilities that to take into account. Invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. Shout out to my folks with invisible disabilities who, you know, you can't see that there's a disability there. And oftentimes folks are judged harshly um, who just because, in a way I'm lucky, people can see my wheelchair. They know I have a disability. But lots of folks are out there who, you know, with invisible disabilities and still require accommodation and uh, accessibility items. Mm -hmm. and, and voice activation. I mean, that can even control your, your curtains in your doors, in your windows, and uh, there, and your security system, it's almost limitless what they can do now. Uh, technology has just grown by so many leaps and bounds. One technology they need to improve, though, is the voice-to-text technology, because all of the people who get texts and emails from me will uh, see my garbled messages. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? And Autocorrect. Uh, yeah, it, which is which actually brings some humor to life, doesn't it? It sure does. If <laughs> when eventually they get that all ironed out, we're, we're going to lose some really good laughs, aren't we? Absolutely. And maybe some really embarrassing <laughs> moments, too. <laughs> yeah. So what, we, we, what, what should we hit on next? What is another feature, Carol Ann, that you think we really need to point out? We've talked about the flooring. We've talked about the, the room sizes and the doorways and the shape. Is there another, and, and, and voice activation, is there another thing we, we need to discuss? Well, there's so much, Dale. I, th I think I definitely have to come back. I'm a cook. I mm -hmm. love to cook. So the kitchen, the kitchen is really, really important to me. And it's, it's a hard one because uh, stoves are not always accessible. And I know the typical accessible stoves have the knobs in the front so that I mm -hmm. can reach them. Um, or they ha or you can have an in countertop cook space and a mm -hmm. wall oven and I did have one of those and I loved it it was it was quite good but 
Uh, it's still not 100% accessible. Mm-hmm. You have to, I have a, an, a seat elevator in my wheelchair. Not everyone has that. So I can go up so I can see in the pot. Mm-hmm. But your face is awful close to the pan. And if you yes. cook bacon, you're in trouble. Oh. I cook my bacon in the oven. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But a kitchen is really important to okay. be accessible. And you need a space where you can do your cutting and that sort of thing. And a lot of folks have lowered countertops um, and even have cupboards, the top cupboards that actually you can pull them and they're on a sort of a lever and they actually come down to you. I've seen that before. Myself, Mm -hmm. I actually have a kind of a a desk eat-in area right in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and it's it's not at any different heights, a desk height. And that's where I wheel under and do my um, chopping and that sort of thing. But actually, it just looks like a desk. Well, Carolyn, we're near the end of the show. So if you'll come back next week... We're, we'll start right back into the kitchen. We, w- I think we need to talk about kitchens. We need right. to talk about bathrooms. I know you have a lot of good information on uh, sources of funding yes. to, to get renos done for um, making a home accessible. And then we need to talk about selling your accessible home, which we, we're sort of brushing on as we go because mm-hmm. every time we talk about universal design we're talking about how to keep that home looking contemporary for everyone and not objectionable ag- objectionably functional so right and um, keeping your money yes yes you're already challenged enough with with extra medical expenses and equipment mm-hmm. and the last thing you need is to take a hit on a real estate transaction Absolutely. Can I give a shout out to builders and yes. say, you know, I love builders. I think they're wonderful, but it doesn't cost any more money to make wider doorways and put accessibility mm-hmm. features in that your folks will thank you for later who buy and will continue to buy from you. And I'd be willing to bet more people would buy a home with these pre-existing and already, you know, occurring features in those homes. I know I would. Well, Mark Rollins, he did uh, Ryerson Commons, and he he had a lot of accessibility features built into all of those homes in that area, and uh, people really appreciated them. And hardly ever come for sale. Yeah, the people that live there love it. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for joining me this morning, and uh, I hope I see you next week. If I don't see you next week, we'll see you the week after, maybe, and, and we'll get this part two done. And... Um, and folks, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or for any real estate questions, feel free to contact me by emailing dale at dalebryant.ca. I'm an active real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. And don't forget to join me next Thursday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon for Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, Truly Local Radio. Until, oh. Thank you for having me, Dale. You're welcome. Until next week, folks. <laughs>